It is good to see you here tonight. It's been such a wonderful day. How beautiful is today? Uh, at home, they were getting over a snowstorm yesterday, and they had melting snow, and so I sent them a picture of me with a mountain background sitting on a bronze horse. It was, it was a wonderful thing. Uh, so a wonderful day here. Enjoyed the time out with Jason, and glad to be with you tonight. The purpose of all of this is, is this moment, this event, this chance to study together. And so I know you've brought your Bibles, and I ask you to open them to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, our first reading for tonight. Matthew, the 16th chapter. While you're getting set in that position, let me talk a little bit about what we did yesterday. I wanted to share a couple of lessons that coincided with the theme that you had throughout 2020 and into January, Jesus through the scriptures. And what I tried to illustrate from Revelation and Genesis is that this is a book about Jesus from beginning to end. All of the scripture is about Jesus. From Genesis chapter 1, where he was present for the creation of all things, to Revelation 22, where his return and judgment was imminent for them and for us as well. Jesus is everywhere within this book, and that's important for you to understand because it represents a lot more than just the pages of a book. Jesus is actually everywhere in all things, not just in the confines of Scripture. I mean, going back to before the universe began, Jesus was there in your past, and he's here now in power, and he'll be here forever. Jesus is in everything in that he is the creator of all things and he will be responsible for the transition of those things to the spiritual abode. So it shouldn't surprise you for me to say a third thing. If Jesus is in all of the scripture and Jesus is in all of the world, then Jesus ought to be in all of us. Like Everything about our lives should be Jesus-based. There shouldn't be any chapters in your life, any books, any verses that aren't connected to Christ because there's, there's nothing that isn't connected to Christ. We ought to be to a point of surrendering our lives and saying, Lord, I live the rest. What did Peter say? The rest of my time in the flesh is for you because it's always been about you. And what you're going to see tonight and tomorrow night and Lord willing on Wednesday night is that's not just some hollow thing that you say. When we decide that we're going to make our lives all about Jesus, Jesus tells us what that means. So for instance, in Matthew chapter 16, listen to what Jesus tells us in verses 24 and 25. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And we'll come back to this verse in a little while, but I want you to begin to understand that deciding that your life is all about Christ means that your life cannot be all about you. You die to this idea that I'm living for me, you deny that concept of humanity and you become someone who gives your life to the Lord for his good pleasure, the Bible says. We spend the rest of our lives wanting to be in his hands, filled with his will to carry out his blessings. So that's where we're going tonight. That's what we'll pursue. We want to see what that looks like. I want to give you some biblical imagery that I hope you will never forget. And then if you're having some problems tonight, Allowing him that kind of control in your life, I really hope the things we have to share with you tonight will help you get past that. So let me start with a statement, and you're welcome to open your Bibles now to Romans 9, because I need to prove this through several Bible passages. 
But when you think about giving control over to the Lord, I want you to imagine that you are a vessel. Tonight, in tonight's study, you are a container. You are a cup. You are made by God. You are a cup constructed by God. But somewhere along the way, the cup became cracked and it became broken and it lost its usefulness. That's what happened when we chose sin. But Jesus, 1 Corinthians 6, said, I think I'll buy that. I made the cup. I think I'll buy that cup back from the junk pile and I will rebuild it. I'll refashion it. I'll fix all the broken pieces. I'll restore it to its original holiness. That's what happens when we're baptized into Christ. And Jesus says, I will take this vessel and I will hold it in my hand and I will fill the vessel with the Holy Spirit. You are a vessel cleansed and remade by God to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that he can pour forth of that spirit into the lives of others through your life. Now, I don't want you leaving here tonight going, that was kind of an interesting concept. Maybe we could do better than that. No, you probably can't do better than that because the scripture wants you to think of yourself in that way. And I need to prove that to you. So I'm going to show you a few passages on the vessel part first. You probably want me to get to the filled to the Holy Spirit part. Like, what's this Texas guy going to say about being filled with the Spirit? You just hang tight, all right? But first, I want you to see that your purpose is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, what good does it do to show you that that's what you're supposed to be if you don't see yourself as a vessel whose purpose is to be filled with Him? So let's start with that. I just want you to get the language down. So go to Romans 9, for instance, this vessel cup concept. Romans 9, maybe verses 21 and 22. Or does not the potter have a right over the clay, Romans 9, 21, to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels, containers of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called. Now, we are not going to get into the Romans 9 text. I'll put that in Sean's inbox. He can do Romans 9 with you guys next week. But when he says vessels filled with wrath, he means people. He means a person who is filled with wrath from God. Or you can be a vessel filled with the mercy of God. If I ask you which one you wanted to be, I think you'd all choose the latter. I want to be a vessel filled with the mercy of God. So let me ask you, what are you filled with? What are you permeated with? What do you pour forth into the world everywhere that you go? Because that's what we are. Listen to the language in 2 Corinthians 4. This is talking about the apostles and their work, but I want you to see the carrying on of the same language as we get going tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 1, the apostle Paul is talking about his ministry, his work, working on behalf of the Lord. He had died to self, Galatians 2. And now he lived for the Lord as a vessel, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the glory will be of God and not from ourselves. And he goes on to say that our vessels are cracked and weathered and worn. He's talking about himself. He is the earthen vessel. He's filled up with the gospel, and he's pouring it out everywhere that he goes. Can I just ask you, what are you pouring out everywhere that you go? You're a vessel filled with something. What is in you and what is the world experiencing through you? Because Paul, an apostle, was filled with the gospel. 
Now, go to, let's see, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4. In some ways, it's okay to think of your body as the vessel. I'll show you this in a couple of passages. But listen to the language in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It all kind of fits together for me. My body, my mind, my life is a container that holds something. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And he goes on to talk about your effect on your brother. And in verse 7, sanctification. So he's kind of like talking about your body now. I mean, you brought your body with you tonight. What's it filled with? Like, what's it about? How are you using it? He said it can be filled with immorality, used for it, and that would pour out, verse 6, and affect your brother. That's not what you want. Or it can be filled with sanctification, and obviously it can pour out holiness. So I want you to envision, it's very important tonight, that you consider yourself a container holding something. Now, the argument that I made a few minutes ago is that what Jesus wants to do is fix all the cracks and breaks and fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me show that to you in Scripture. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6 is kind of similar to 1 Thessalonians. It's about immorality and the way you use your body and why that's such a bad idea to do that. But in 1 Corinthians 6, you get down to verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 he says, flee immorality, every sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Now, why should I flee immorality? It's my body, right? I can do with it whatever I want. If your body is a container designed to hold the spirit, can you do whatever you want with your body? You can't do that because it wasn't made to do whatever it wanted to do. Let me show it to you. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, in your vessel, like you, the whole of you. And so we learn verse 19, someone says, is it true that the Holy Spirit is in you? I don't think the Holy Spirit is in you. I would just say read 19 very slowly then, I guess. Maybe like accentuate every syllable if it helps you. The text says, the Holy Spirit who is in you. Now, the question is how? And again, that, that's going to be in Sean's inbox for, for next week. All right, go to Ephesians 5. <laughs> go to Ephesians 5. I could also take you to Acts, uh, or Acts 6, where they were selecting the seven men who they said were full of the Spirit and wisdom. Do you remember that? Stephen, and I've got a son named Nicholas, named after the Nicholas from that text. They were men filled with the Spirit and wisdom. The Holy Spirit had not possessed them yet. No hands had been laid on them, yet their vessel was filled with the Spirit, and yours needs to be also. Now, we see it in a different way here in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5 and verse 15, he says this, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine. Think about being like filled with wine and it affecting you and others, that's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Should Christians be filled with the Spirit? The Bible says the vessel that is you should be filled with the Spirit. And when you are filled with the Spirit, 
You will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You will sing and make melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and you'll be subject to one another. So I can tell you what happens when you are filled with the Spirit. I haven't answered the hard question yet, but I can tell you that whatever it is, when you're doing it right, you're going to do everything in verses 15 through 21. Now, people want to know. What does that mean? How are you filled with the Spirit? Somebody says, are you filled with the Spirit simply through the revelation when you read it? I'm looking for nods and shakes. Okay, poker face, I got it. Are you filled with the Spirit when providentially things happen in your life where you kind of see what God is doing, maybe like Joseph? Are you filled with the Spirit by a personal, literal indwelling of the Spirit where he uses some supernatural ability to possess in each person? I happen to keep the answer in my left pocket. Hang on just a second. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know everything about the Spirit. I know that He works through the Word. I know that He works providentially, and I know that He can do a whole lot more things than you think He can do. Can I tell you that? But here's what matters more, much more, than being able to explain exactly how the Spirit feels. Much more important is what that means. What does it mean to say you're filled with the Spirit? Ephesians 5 is super great for that. Because once you are filled with him, you start doing these things. But here's what I want to say with confidence today. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. I may not be able to explain how the Spirit fills me with himself or with his nature, but I can tell you what that looks like. It looks like nine things. When you are filled with the Spirit... When you're in the palm of the hand of the Son of God, a vessel fully prepared to pour forth nourishment into the life of the people around you, it means that you are filled to the brim with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Somebody says, how are you filled with the Spirit? I don't know all of that. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? That's what it means right there. When you are filled with love and joy and peace. In our bathroom, I get up in the morning, there's these tiles on the wall, and I'll walk to the sink and I'll go, I'll touch nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And then I'll walk back and kind of like pick one, and that'll be the one that I pray over that morning. Because think about it. Have you ever had even one day of your life where you were filled with these nine things to the brim and there was nothing else inside of you except love and joy and peace. Nothing. No anxiety. Just peace. No short fuses. Just patience. No tailgating the slow guy. Just gentleness. No lapses in judgment or repeated mistakes. Just self-control. What do you think God could do with us if we lived every day of our lives filled to the brim with these nine things and nothing else was in us? You think God could do great things with you? I believe God could do phenomenal. And we all have moments. We have our moments. But we also know that this is very difficult to do. The list is easy to read. Living filled with it is difficult to do because back up a little bit to verses 19 and following. In that cup, there are other things that want to pollute that water. 
There are other things that want to displace the Spirit, and you already know this, and the list is found in verse 19. It's the deeds of the flesh that are set, verse 17, in direct contact, contrast to the Spirit. They hate the work of the Spirit. The devil wants to make you a vessel for him, and what he wants to put in you is immorality and impurity and sensuality. That's sexual sin. And idolatry and sorcery. That's replacement of God. And enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. That's Facebook and other things. <laughs> Disputes, dissensions, factions. Some of that stuff happens in church buildings. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And, and here's the trick. Let me tell you why this is so hard. Because Jesus wants to completely fill you to the brim with the fruit of the Spirit, and He doesn't accept any amount of the flesh at all, or it ruins what He wants to do in your life. Do you understand that? The devil doesn't care how much of the flesh he gets in. He just needs some of it. He's okay if you're mostly spiritual and you love most of the time. He just needs to get this stuff in there and ruin the experience. So that when you pour forth into the lives of others, somewhere in that fresh water is something that can hurt someone. And this is hard. It's easy to say, you're a vessel filled with the Spirit. See you tomorrow night. Something altogether different to live even one day like that. I have been praying about this unendingly for about three years. I think every day I've prayed about this. Uh, some of you know I have the Excel Still More podcast, and there's a journal associated with that. And the journal came out about, well, 88 weeks ago, because I just wrote 88, week 88 uh, yesterday in the hotel. 88 straight weeks. I think I wrote 89. 88 straight weeks, over 600 days in a row, I've been asking God for some things. One of the things that I started with in the early portion of the journaling was, Lord, verses 19 and 20 and 21, would you please get this out of me? I hate feeling envious. I hate immorality. I hate idolatry. And yet, I'm an idolater. And I, and I feel lust at times. And, and I have a bad attitude. God, please get the flesh out. And you know what changed? Almost nothing. I prayed and prayed and prayed and worded it this way and worded it that way and the same problems kept coming up. Every, I got very discouraged. So about a year ago, I changed the prayers and I started praying about the Spirit. And so I started saying, okay, God, I'm still asking you to get outbursts of anger out of my life and envy and all that stuff, but Lord, I can see that maybe I'm not on the right track with this. So let me change just a little bit. God... Fill me with your spirit. However that works, Lord, if it works through Bible study, I promise I will read at least one chapter a day so that you can fill me with your spirit. If it happens through the experiences of being around Christians, God, I promise I'll never pass up an opportunity to be around Christians. Just fill me with your spirit. If it happens supernaturally by some indwelling that's well beyond what we're able to describe, God, my arms are extended. I'll take it. The Holy Spirit is welcome here. I was begging for the Spirit to fill me up every day, week after week, month after month. And what do you think happened? Truth, it got better, but not much. 
it got better because I was thinking, okay, I'm a vessel now and love, and I would pick one. I like to pick one of the nine and go, okay, today is peace day. And it got better. But as soon as it would go well, it would fall right back apart again. And I got really discouraged. Like, wait, the Lord remade me and reformed me and promised to protect me and is filling me up. And yet, I don't know, I'm pouring out stuff that I'm not proud of. But you know, a few months ago, not long ago, four or five months ago, I ran across something in study that has changed my life complete. Still pray the same things, but there's something else that I pray now, and, and it's changed everything. And I, I pray, you know, go try stage one. It's good, pray. Get the flesh out, get the, the worldliness out, get the spirit in. But let me show you something else. Do you remember when we were in Matthew 16 a little while ago, and we read that verse, Matthew 16, where Jesus, Jesus told us to, to follow him, to take up our cross and follow him? But what's the first thing he told us to do? Do you remember from Matthew 16? He said, deny yourself until you recognize that yourself is in the cup, that you are taking up space that belongs to the spirit until you recognize that it's not just the flesh accidentally jumped in at two o'clock on a Tuesday, but it really was a lack of self-denial until I was ready to say, God, the truth is I'm loving myself too much. And that's why this is happening. Nothing changed. Let me give you a little illustration to help with this, maybe a little uh, imagery to consider. Uh, last November after Thanksgiving, we pulled down all the, all the Christmas stuff and we, we have one Christmas mug. Uh, big coffee drinkers in our house, and I pulled out the Christmas mug, red, huge, big handle, and I can drink, I mean, we love the coffee. I fill that thing up. And, but it's different than every other mug in our house because in the middle of it is a snowman. Like, not, not a painting of a snowman, like a three-dimensional snowman sticking up in the middle of the cup, looking at you with its carrot nose and a little smile on its face. Now, let me just say a couple of things about Mr. Snowman in the cup, Okay. He's a cute, all right, cute snowman, well-made, but he does not belong in my coffee cup. Coffee cups are for coffee, not snowmen. Snowman is taking up 20% of a cup where there should just be 20% more coffee. And so, you know, you can take that cup and you can, you can cover him. How do you cover him? You fill it up with coffee, fill that thing all the way up, he gone, okay? But you're two sips in and here's this little carrot nose sticking up like that. And it's like, what are you doing there? Like, you'd be great over here, but not here. And then you get down, here's the worst part. You get down where you have about that much coffee left. You guys know about that much coffee left? Like, the pot's empty. This is it. And you get ready to take that last big swig of coffee. And all you get is, like, like a thimble worth of coffee because there's a snowman in the way. And he's taking up all the coffee space. There shouldn't be a snowman in a coffee cup. Well, let me see if you can understand why I told you that story. You're supposed to be the cup. But sometimes you're the snowman in the cup. You're supposed to be the vessel that holds the coffee, that's filled with it. But in it, where there should be more coffee, that's where you are. And as long as I and you are in the vessel, we will never be what God wants us to be. We have to deny and remove ourselves. Now, if I didn't do it this year, I probably will do it next year. But you know, I thought about reaching in there and just, just breaking that thing and pulling them out of there. But I was afraid to put a hole in the bottom. You know, change the whole sermon illustration, I guess. But. <laughs> pulling it out. And you know, it, I, would, I would have to do it. Could I just stare at it and it would go away? I should pray it away. 
Lord, would you please take this snowman out of the cup? It'll never go. But if I reach in and I was able to break it and I was able to pull it out, would I then have to go back into the cup and convince the coffee to fill that space? As soon as the snowman comes out, the coffee will rush into the void that is created there. Let me just say something to you about that. If you're praying for the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, give me more love. Make my life more joyful. Help me experience more peace. I need more patience. I need to be kinder and, and more good and, Lord, more faithful and more self-control. Fill me up. But where God wants to put it, that's where you are. Self-serving. Your own will. He will not. Let me tell you what God will not do. I'm not saying it's impossible for God. I'm saying God has said he will not do it. God will not fill you up unless you give yourself to him and empty yourself out and ask for it. We've got to remove it. Let me show you an example that will help with this. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Jesus uses the cup illustration with the Pharisees, the scribes, the hypocrites. And in Matthew chapter 23, I want you to notice what he says in verses 25 and 26. Now, he's not going to use a snowman here. Jesus didn't go with the snowman illustration, but he did go with dirt, okay? So it's a, imagine now it's a container that's purpose is to be filled with life-giving water, and yet there's dirt in it. And here's what he says about that. In verse 25, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. That's the same thing. He's saying, I'm going to fill you up, but you've got to get the dirt out. What is the dirt? Did you see it in verse 25? The dirt is robbery, but the dirt is also what? Self-indulgence. The dirt is me. The dirt is me wanting for me. The dirt is focusing on what I desire and making sure that that doesn't get sacrificed. And how many Christians try to live like that? Oh, Lord, fill me with all of your will around the fact that I still want mine. I'm going to be in the middle, okay? And I still want what I want. God, just put your spirit all around me. And God says, I don't put my spirit around you. I put it inside of you. I don't work it around you in the middle. I work it all the way through. And so I started asking myself some hard questions. These flesh ideas that I was struggling with, I started asking these questions, and I encourage you to do the same. This fleshly problem that I have, instead of just going, ooh, flesh is bad, now I say, Who's that about? When I say those words, when I think those thoughts that I hate, when I do that thing, who's that about? Who is that serving? Who is it helping? Who is it for? Who gets something out of it? How many of you know what the answer is to all those questions? It's just me. It doesn't help my wife. It doesn't help my kids. It doesn't help the church. It doesn't carry the name of Jesus. When I'm going down, I, I travel four miles every day down Highway 849, and the speed limit's 55, and Johnny 37 is out there three days a week, going 37 miles per hour. And I feel like what I need to do is get really, really close to him and swerve left and right violently, just so he knows that he's ruining everyone's life. When I do that, I would tell you it's about teaching this person a lesson who's probably like, you know, grandpa and great guy. But anyway, who's that really about? Let's get real about this. Who's that about? Who's the person who feels the need? To, it's always me. What I started to learn is 
when I'm, when I'm working the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit, that's about everybody. You know who love helps? Everybody. Love helps the name of Jesus. Love helps your family. You know who patience helps? Everybody. Do you know who impatience is about? Me. Do you know who hates about? Just me. And so what I started to learn is that these deeds of the flesh are about self-indulgence. So if I could just pause, and I'm telling you this, if you can just pause for two seconds and say, this next thing I'm about to do, maybe it's a gentleman here, maybe it's 1130 tonight at night, maybe your kids and wife are asleep, maybe you got your computer open, you're about to hit a keystroke. Who's that about? Like, let's get real here. What's that serving? Me and my flesh. Stop. God didn't sanctify you to fill yourself with something for you and your flesh. But if you'll remove that instantly in its place, just like every time I'm driving on 849, every time I back up and like just start praying, then I start looking in going, oh, that is a grandpa with his kid. Oh, I wonder if they would like to go to church with us. Of course, the first time you, you tailgate somebody all the way to the church building and they park next to you, you're done with that. But um, <laughs> that'll teach you a lesson, you know, because you know what? You know why that teaches you a lesson? Because what you thought was just about you did have an effect on others. That's the real trick the devil does. He puts you in the middle of the cup and he says, don't worry about it. It's just about you anyway. It's no big deal. It doesn't affect anyone. But when you're serving you, you're hurting others. When you're serving you, you're hurting others. When you remove self-indulgence, you fill yourself with something that everyone can enjoy. Everyone. I want to take you to one final passage to help drive this home. Go with me. I reserved one vessel passage to wrap up some things. So go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, please. 2 Timothy Chapter 2, I want to begin here maybe in about verse 19. Uh, you probably know Galatians 5 pretty well, the, the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe 2 Timothy is a little less known. So if you want something to read tonight before you go to bed, something for in the morning, something to kind of take the ideas and, and tie together, you can go Amazon search for a cup with a snowman in it, and you can do that, but don't do that. Instead, go read 2 Timothy. Let's do this together. He said, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. I'm in 2 Timothy 2, 19. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. That's basically our sermon tonight. Our sermon tonight is you are a vessel that God can use, and if you'll clean out what doesn't belong, which my argument tonight is it's just, it's just self, then he can make you sanctified. He can make you honorable, verse 21. He can make you useful, and he can prepare you for works you never even thought you would be able to do. But look at verses 22 and following. There are three things that have to come out of the cup, and there are six or seven things that go in. Let's read it. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. 
Now, I want to focus on the positives here. God wants to fill you with His Spirit. And while you have the list of nine things in Galatians 5, you get a new and equally beautiful list here. What you find in verses 22 and following is that God wants to fill you with righteousness. And He wants to fill you with faith. And He wants to fill you with love and peace. This is sounding very similar to Galatians. He wants to fill you, verse 25, with gentleness. So that maybe you can go out and save people. Instead of fighting them, you know, division and arguing, we can actually save some of these people if we live with gentleness. These are the things that God wants to fill us with. Gentleness, patience, kindness, peace, love, faith. But did you see the three things that have got to come out? I'm going to show them to you. It's the last thing I'm going to do tonight. But if we don't get the three things out, you can pray all day, every day. You can cry on the page. You can hold hands with your family. You can have an eldership anoint your head with oil, literal, if it makes you feel better. And you can pray for more faith and love and peace and kindness and fill me with your spirit. And where are you, God? But until these three things get pulled out, God cannot fill that space. What are those three things in this text? Number one, flee youthful Lust. Lust, immorality, fornication, adultery, pornography. I think that we have given in to the fact that that's just a reality in our time and culture, technology in our lives. And you know, if you just put enough coffee in the cup, you won't even see the little snowman in the middle who's indulged in immorality, but he's still there and he's in the middle and God sees him. Until we are able to pull that out, which by the way, what's interesting is, remember when I took you to 1 Thessalonians 4, when it talked about not engaging in immorality, what terminology did it use there? The vessel. It said your vessel's not for that. You got to get that out of the vessel. And in 1 Corinthians 6, it literally said flee immorality because it said you're a container that holds the Holy Spirit. So if you're someone who's fighting immorality, if you're fighting lust, if you're fighting pornography, if you're fighting a desire for for fornication or adultery, I just want you to ask yourself some different kinds of questions from here on in. When you feel that temptation, when it's right there in front of you, could you just stop for a second instead of going, I hate that, but I do it anyway. How about this? Why don't you ask yourself, who's this about? This thing I'm thinking, this thing I'm about to do, who's that serving? Who gets the focus on that? Who is the only one? Who gets any gain? And of course, it's going to be your flesh. And if the answer is you, then you know it's the wrong questions. We need to be asking, are we helping others? Are we serving others? If immorality is about you, then you know that you cannot be serving Christ with an immoral life. I'm concerned about people in the church, men particularly, but all of us, who believe that even though I have this addiction that's about me, if I just cover it enough, it won't be noticed. Soon as you start to pour out your spirit on others, he's going to show right through. I want to live according to the spirit, but I have to remove the selfishness, and that's all that it is, of immorality from my life. Here's a second thing, and it goes into a totally different category. He says, look, flee you for us and, you know, pursue all the things that matter. But then he says, refuse foolishness and ignorant speculations. All right, now I'm gonna start meddling a little bit. God's people. Maybe you say, immorality, not my thing. That's not, an, I gave that up years ago, I took that up, that's great. 
But you know what's replaced that for a lot of people? A passion for politics. A passion for acting like you have a medical degree from Harvard. A passion for society that has caused so much social media and eruption of speculation, unprovable things, things that don't matter. Oh, they matter to you, but <laughs> I got you, didn't I? They matter to you, and winning that argument matters to you, and it makes you look good, but it's not about you. You're the vessel. You're not in the cup. And what we find is, even in the church, there's so much arguing about things that don't matter and don't help propagate the name of Jesus. Now, in the text here, he talks about foolish and ignorant speculations, and I think you can go back and see what he's talking about there. If you go back to, to 1 Timothy 1, where he talks about that a little bit, and in 1 Timothy chapter 1, when he opens this, this section to Timothy in Ephesus, he talks about myths and endless genealogies, things that just arise, arise speculation. And I think they're religiously connected, uh, which is interesting because a lot of the COVID stuff, everybody's found a way to like connect to godliness. Like if you don't wear a mask, you clearly hate everyone in your life. Like stop it. Like stop it. Stop the speculations and quit tagging me, okay? I don't care about that article that you found on page four of Google. I don't care about it. Why? What we have is all these speculations. And, and look what he says in verse 4. He said, all you really need to be concerned about, 1 Timothy 1, 4, is the administration of God, the dispensation of Christ, the church. Like, all you should be concerned about is just telling people about Jesus and about his control and about how knowledgeable he is and distributing, among others, the fruit of the Spirit. And we don't see enough of that. In 2 Timothy, back getting close to our text again, in chapter 2, Look in chapter 2 and verse 15. You know this verse really, really well, where it says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. I'm just going to say something here because I'm far away from home and they're probably not going to watch the thing. I hope they don't watch the thing. Don't watch the thing. Turn off the thing. You know, some people that I see posting things on social media, speculation, conspiracy, things that don't matter to God at all. You know, sometimes I read those things and I think, you know, that person should be posting Bible verses instead, right? And then it hits me, they probably don't even know those Bible verses. People who've been watching Fox News for their eighth straight hour can't show us the gospel of Jesus. You know what foolish speculation does? It fills your time cup. It fills you up with stuff that doesn't God doesn't care. And we'll just find an article on page 8 that refutes your article on page 4 anyway. Because that's the way foolish speculation works. You know what we need to do? Verse 16, we need to avoid worldly and empty chatter. For it leads to further ungodliness. And, and their talk will spread like gangrene. And, and I know, again, a lot of this had to do with religion. It had to do with the return of Jesus. And I haven't really talked about that a lot tonight. But I do think that brethren argue religiously on things where God's just looking at you going, Would you, would you please just go talk to someone about my son? Would you please just go tell someone about the church? And would you please show them that it's a brotherhood of people who love each other, not people who argue about every single conscience issue in the book? Like, who's that about, though? Who's that about? That's about me. My pride, my arguing, and my victory. If we're playing to win, then we're in the wrong game. 
All we want to do is pour forth of the Spirit. And then I'll just finish with one that's very similar to that. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, you're this vessel and he wants to clean it out for honor. So you've got to realize that immorality just can't be in it. Not even a little bit can be in it or it can't be filled with the Spirit. Uh, the idea of speculations and misplaced attention can't be in it because it can't be spilled, filled with the Spirit. And then the last one's really similar to, similar to that because he says in verse 23, knowing that they produce quarrels, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Now I'm going to read that again. I'm going to read it super duper slowly. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. It's a requirement for elders. We see that in the text, but it's something that should be in everyone. I'm not quarrelsome. I'm kind. I'm not quarrelsome. I'm trying to teach. I'm patient. Even when you wrong me, I'm patient. Because if I fight back, that would be about me. Fighting back, I think about Jesus and all that was done to him. The injustice, the ridicule, the beating. If there was any part of his humanity that wanted to stop the plan, which required his death, and just fight back. He could have destroyed those people like that. But guess who that would have been about? That would have been about him, his flesh. That would have been about restitution. It would have been about, about earthly bound victory, which we're so caught up in. We've got to remove a quarrelsome spirit from God's church and from the hearts of every member of it before a church can be filled with the spirit. Oh, you can pour a lot of spirit and hide that quarrelsome attitude, but it's still there and it'll show up when you just need one more sip of the spirit. All that'll be left is it. We've got to remove that from us. Open your Bibles to 1 John 1 and we'll close this. 1 John 1. If you are someone who's listening to this thinking, you know, I have a lot of the same struggles that Chris apparently has, and you've been praying for the removal of one thing, fleshly problems, and you've been praying for the influx of the Spirit, I hope that tonight you recognize that the real, I'm gonna say, it's gonna sound bad when I say it, and it's gonna get better than the next sentence. I hope you realize that the, the real problem is you. It's not your job, it's not the devil, it's not, it's that God is pouring and he wants to change your life. The real problem is you're still in the center of it. Now, that sounds terrible, but it's also really great news because guess who is the only person you can control? Guess who the only person is you have the power to change? It's you. If you're the only problem in your growth and you're the person you can change, I think that's great news. But you've got to know 1 John 1, though. You've got to know 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, he talks about verse 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's like just keep pouring it, covering it. Just keep covering it. It's still there. We both know it's there. You know it's there and I know it's there, but we're just going to keep covering it. I don't have any sin, no problem. We'll never get better. But if we recognize self, self-indulgence and focus, and we confess it, verse 9, we confess it and we repent. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you remove the snowman from the cup, he's not going to say, I'm not going to fill that void. I'm still mad at you. You remove it, he fills it in instantly. He fills that void every time. All you got to do is get yourself out of the middle of it. Simple asking of those basic questions has changed a lot of things in my life. And that's the reason I'm preaching it here to you guys tonight. Common problems, common solutions in Christ. Would you pray with me, please?
Our dear Heavenly Father, our great God, God of love and mercy, a God who has shown us great kindness just by creating us and giving us life, we have not done well with that, Lord. We have all who are of an age of knowing what is right and wrong, we have all chosen the wrong way, and we are indebted to you that you continued to love us through that, Lord, and you saw our focus on self, and you offered your Son to cleanse us completely, and we're so thankful that he can put us back together. But Father, help us. Help us understand that we weren't repaired to carry the same old things, that we've been repaired and cleansed so that we can carry on his purpose. And Father, we're thankful that you've shown what that purpose is. It's to take the character of the Holy Spirit, the qualities of God, and carry them into this world, into our families, into our workplace, and into our lives. Thank you for making clear the purpose of every vessel in the room tonight. Father, we falter and we fail, but Lord, help us be, to be humble enough. Help me to be humble enough to stop in the midst of that sin and identify who it's serving. And if the answer is me, Lord, give me power and humility and diligence to remove myself that your mercy may flow free. Father, I pray that for every person in this room tonight, and we just want to thank you for always being ready to fill us with your love and mercy so that we can experience fellowship with you and we can share that beautiful message with others. And may the fruit of the Spirit lead to conversions where quarrelsome spirit has only led to division. Maybe we can go save some souls, Lord, and we pray that you'll use us, that we prepare ourselves for your work and you utilize us. That's the purpose for which you've been saved. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for using us. Thank you for saving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray that that's how you feel, self-identified and hopeful, but maybe, maybe you need help. Maybe you need someone to help you through this process. God's people are here. Perhaps you've not yet confessed your sin to Christ and be cleansed. If you're not a, a fully repaired vessel, how can you hold the greatest of things? If you need to be born again, redeemed by Christ in this water, that opportunity is extended to you, as are the mercies of the Lord, as we stand together and sing.